Well, hey, everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. And I don't know about you, but my patience has sort of been tested the last few weeks. Anybody relate to that? I mean, anybody feel like your patience has been tested? I mean, you know, I'm just used to things happening much quicker than they've been happening lately, right? And I'm pretty impatient uh, anyway to begin with, but like, like deliveries. It used to be you ordered something and it would be delivered, you know, just within a couple days, so we were running low on toilet paper recently, and uh, Lori and I, um, we went out, we looked everywhere we could to try and find toilet paper. There's none anywhere, uh, as you can imagine. And so a couple weeks ago, we ordered um, uh, toilet paper online, and we were so excited because we thought they're going to ship it, it's going to be amazing. And then when we ordered it, we found out that the toilet paper had an arrival date of two months from the date of order. We're like, oh my goodness, we've gone from two days to two months months. And then amazingly, two weeks later, it just showed up on our doorstep. There's no note that it was shipping early, nothing. It just showed up. That's kind of the sign of the times. Now, used to be when I wanted to be like super romantic, I could bring like fresh roses or, or a nice gift and I could go in and I could present that to Lori and, you know, something meaningful and special. But man, today the most romantic thing I could bring her is toilet paper. And I walked in like, Lori, Will you accept this rose? And I handed her that toilet paper, and we were dancing around like I had won the lottery. We were like kids, man. It was amazing because a lack of toilet paper will test your patience. Hey, family right now can also test your patience. I don't know how you're doing at home with family and those dynamics. Uh, there's definitely people trying to work from home, and that's a challenge. Some of you remember that Dolly Parton song, 9 to 5. Remember that? Like, working 9 to 5. Remember that? What a way to make a living. Yeah, those were the days, right? But I saw this meme. I thought it was funny. And uh, it was uh, Dolly Parton. And this is what it's like working at home with kids, working at home with kids, working 9 to 9, 10, interruption, working 9.45 to 10, interruption, working 10.20 to 10.35, interruption, 12.30 to 2, and on and on you go throughout the day. And it's not just with kids. It's like, you know, working 10.20 to 10.35, and then you get distracted by something on social media, right? Working 12.30 to 2, and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody wants to do a Zoom call, and now you're called, you're pulled into that. Working 12.15 to 12.16, and then you stare off hopelessly into space. I mean, this is sort of where we're at right now. It's hard to focus. It's hard to keep our mind engaged and our patience is wearing thin. Some of you, maybe you just feel really impatient about just how long the quarantine is going and, and, and what that could mean for you in your life. And we're waiting you know, some people are waiting for uh, the, the relief check to, to, to hit their bank account. You're waiting for your employment uh, uh, claim to be processed. You're waiting for you know, the small business loan to come through. You're waiting for when you can go back to work again. You're waiting for sports, right? We, we're just in this waiting kind of moment, and it can get challenging. Listen, challenging times always challenge our hope. Challenging times always challenge our hope. And hope is what we need to keep going. Hope is really what the heart runs on. But in seasons like this, you can start to lose your grip on hope. And so I want to talk to you today about how we can strengthen our grip on hope. You know, a fascinating thing about the Old Testament is, it's written in the, in the Hebrew language, and the Hebrew word for wait is often translated interchangeably with the word hope. 
Waiting and hoping are interconnected. They're, they're almost identical for believers in this sense. As a follower of God, it's not simply what you're waiting on, it's who you're waiting for. It's not just what you're waiting on, it's who you're waiting for. And you might just be waiting for another person, you might just be waiting for the government, you might just be waiting for the virus to lift. But listen, and if you are, if you're just waiting on other people and things, you're likely to be disappointed. But check it out, when you wait on God, when you patiently pray, when you, when you, when you patiently seek him with all your heart, the Bible says he will renew your strength. That's what hope does. It brings new strength into your life. Listen, God didn't bring you this far to leave you where you're at. Listen, God, he didn't lead you here to leave you here. He's still moving. He's still working. The story isn't finished. God isn't done. It's not over. You're not finished. God said, we just got to hold on to hope in these moments. And so to give us some insight on that, I want to go to the Old Testament book of Lamentations. Not a book you usually think of when you think of hope. Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Check it out. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, uh, Jeremiah lived at a time when the Israelite nation had been conquered by the Babylonians. And when they were conquered, they were eventually like the city of Jerusalem, the main city was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, which for them meant like the presence of God who dwelled in the temple. God had abandoned them, the temple was down. I mean, Jeremiah is in a dark, dark place. And so he writes the book of Lamentations. Check it out, Lamentations is like five chapters. Uh, each chapter represents a poem, a lament, a cry from a broken heart. And he's lamenting the destruction of the city, the destruction of the temple. I mean, these words that we're about to read come in Lamentations chapter 3. And it's the third poem in the book. And in Lamentations 3, you actually, in the midst of all of this dark, depressing, painful grief, you have one of the most incredible statements of hope in the entire Bible. And what I want you to realize is this, the words we're about to look at, they were not written from a place of comfort. They were written in a place of crisis. They weren't written when everything was okay. They were written when it wasn't sure everything was ever going to be okay again. They, they weren't written when, uh, well, you know, when everybody had everything they needed. They were written when people had tremendous need. Dreams had been destroyed. The city had been torn down. The temple was gone. Jeremiah's looking around. He couldn't be more distraught, which is why Lamentations is actually one of the hardest, most brutal books in the entire Bible to even get through. It's so depressing. But you get to chapter 3, and in the midst of all this despair, we have this amazing statement of hope. Check this out. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning of verse 19. He says, this is Jeremiah, right? He says, I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. You remember when you hit the bottom? You remember when you came to the end of yourself? Do you remember when you were at your absolute lowest? Jeremiah says, I remember. But there's one other thing I remember. And remembering, I keep a, help me on this highlighted word, say it out loud. I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. And so it's still dark. It's still tough. 
It's still difficult here in this moment for Jeremiah. In fact, as you look around in the context of, of Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah's just said, God himself has made me eat gravel. He has rolled me in the dust. He says, uh, I don't even remember what prosperity is. And then he says, everything I have hoped for from the Lord has, has basically been taken away. <laughs> and then, right after saying all of that, he says, but this is what I do to keep a grip on hope. I remember. I remember who God is. I remember he's still good. I remember he's still faithful. I remember he isn't finished. I remember he's still writing the story. This is how I keep a grip on hope. So how do you strengthen your grip on hope when your patience is being tested, when you've been waiting and you're not sure you're hoping, but you're waiting? How do you get a stronger grip on hope? First, simply do this. Remember God's rescue. Remember God's rescue in your heart and in your life. Remember what he's done. Now, we have a hard time remembering things. I got to tell you, I have a hard time remembering things. I mean, I, 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 every week at some point, I'm trying to ping my phone to figure out where I left it. Anybody relate to this? I mean, every week at some point, I'm reaching out to, uh, to one of my family members saying, hey, can somebody call my phone real quick? I don't, I don't, I don't know where it is, you know, and, and they'll call it. I mean, it might be on the washer. It might be in the car. It might be by the bathroom. It's all over the place. Once time it was even in my back pocket I'm like what's that sound where, 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 where? you know and I'm looking all over and it's right there it's in my back pocket hello we forget we forget which is why the Bible is always challenging us again and again to remember to remember what the Lord has done to remember how he's moved and worked and that's exactly what Jeremiah says in chapter 3 it's how he keeps a grip on hope he remembers in fact check this out let's go back to this verse and look at it again he says look at this I'll never forget so he's remembering right there I'm not going to forget the trouble. Sometimes you need to remember the trouble so that you can remember how God led you to the triumph, right? Sometimes in the midst of the difficulty, you got to remember that God isn't finished and he isn't done. I remember the trouble so that I can remember the triumph. He says, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison that I've swallowed. He says, I help me out. I remember it all. You know, a lot of times we say, hey, hey you, you shouldn't focus on the past. We got to move past the past. You don't want to let the past become a prison, right? You don't want to let the past hold you down. And while that is true, don't miss this. It's also important to remember the past to be motivated to move into the future. You got to remember what God did in the past to remind yourself of what he will do in the future. So he says, look, I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember what? The feeling of hitting the bottom. You know, one of the most powerful things you can do right now in this season to strengthen your grip on hope is just to pause and remember what it was like when you hit the bottom. Remember what it was like when you came to the end of yourself. Remember what it was like when you weren't sure which way was up and God showed up and rescued you. Sometimes you got to remember how far God has brought you so that you can imagine how far God can take you. Sometimes you got to pause in the moment and remember how far God has brought you so you can imagine how far God will take you. We don't look to the past to idealize the past. We don't look to the past to make it something that it's not. We don't look to the past to, to, to allow it to sort of paralyze our present or our future. We look to the past to be motivated by the faithfulness of our God in our lowest moments. 
And so Jeremiah says, I remember. I remember when I was at my lowest and God met me there. You know, I remember in my own life, and I spent some time this week just remembering again. Uh, my bottom probably came when I was a teenager, 17 years old. Around the age of 13, I started running around with friends that were older and doing crazy stuff. And eventually I got caught up in a four-year drug addiction. I started doing drugs, but before too long, like, drugs were doing me. Anybody understand what I'm saying? And I was in way over my head. And I wasn't sure how to move forward in those moments. And I remember kind of coming to a place that I would call my, my rock bottom. I'd overdosed, been unconscious, and, and uh, when I came to, I, I didn't know where I was or what had happened, but I knew for me, like, and it's different for everybody, but for me, that, I was coming to a crossroads. You see, if you, if you wrestle with addiction, serious addiction in your life, it only goes one of four places. It's like, it's like a straight highway, right? It's the highway to hell, and it goes one of four places. You either die, or you go crazy, or you go to prison, or you get help. Come on, everybody who's been there knows exactly what I'm saying. You either die, you go crazy, you go to prison, or you get help. There's really no other exits in serious addiction on that road, and I knew I was on on that road and I knew I was headed to one of those destinations and I remember just being so tired, so incredibly tired. I was tired of living. I was tired of drugs. I was tired of partying. I was tired of people. I was tired of myself. I had violated everything that I thought was important. I had hurt the people that were closest to me. The thing about an addict is we are so good at lying and the person we lie to the most is ourselves. And I lied to myself. I'd lied to everybody who loved me. Truly, for years in my life, I just slowly tried to kill myself. In fact, every year of my birthday, I get emotional. And one of the reasons I get emotional is I never thought I'd be here. I never thought I'd live to be 30. You know, and here I am, an old man. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. That's right. But every year, I'm just grateful because I don't deserve anything. Finally, at the end of my weariness and fatigue, I got down on my knees and I asked God to help me. And I, I didn't even know what to say, but I knew I couldn't get help and healing from my addiction in my own strength and power. I just said, God, I need your help. I need you to move and work in my life. And it's not like in that moment, the ceiling rolled back and this angelic choir appeared and Morgan Freeman dropped out of the sky and you know, said in his deep, rich voice, you know, what's up, Judd? I didn't hear anything, but I did sense in my own heart just a couple words that I felt like God laid, laid on my heart. They were the words, welcome home. And I got up after praying and just knew my life was going to be different. Things were going to be different. The next morning, I got in my car, and as I'm, I'm driving, I, I threw all my drug paraphernalia, all my drugs out the window. You know, and that was it. Decades and decades ago, God's faithfulness. I don't even remember how long now. 33 years of God's faithfulness in my life. And I'm so thankful. What was your bottom? Sometimes you got to remember the bottom 
to remember God's faithfulness, God's rescue, to remind yourself that God didn't bring you this far just to leave you here. Listen, God didn't forgive you, friend, just to forsake you. God didn't restore you just to refuse you. Come on, somebody. God didn't do a miracle just to mess with you. He didn't heal you just to leave you out to dry. I mean, he didn't show up just to let you wallow. He didn't open a door in your life just to disappear. He didn't he didn't meet your needs just to ignore them. He didn't accept you just to reject you. He didn't offer you grace just to refuse you help. He didn't find you uh, uh, in your life just to then lose you. He didn't make you just to break you. He didn't renew you just to reject you. Listen, he didn't give you his everything so that you could feel like a nothing. He showed up when you didn't know which way was up. He made a way when you didn't know any way could be made. Listen, he forgave you even though you didn't deserve forgiving. He gave you a purpose even when you had no purpose. He gave you life when you thought life was over. He healed you when you thought you were beyond healing. He gave you love, joy, faith, goodness, and peace. Don't you forget, friends. Don't forget. Don't you let the coronavirus steal that memory. Don't you let the situation we're in take that memory away. You thought you were at rock bottom, but God was the rock you were standing on. Listen, God didn't lead you here just to leave you here. He didn't lead you here just to lead you here. You got to remember God's rescue. You got to hang on to it in your life. Let it strengthen your grip on hope. Second thing we can do is then count on God's faithfulness. Don't worry about me at home, by the way. I get a little breathy period. Like people are like, Judd, you're going to pass out? I'm not going to pass out. I'm good. I'm just excited. Just coming into your living room with a lot of passion. All right. We've got to count on God's faithfulness. We can trust him in our lives. We've seen a lot of images of faithfulness in our culture, in our world. Um, I know the news is bad, but there's a lot of good news. You just got to look for it. And the good news is usually found in people doing tremendous acts of kindness for other people. And I'm so proud of our central team and volunteers as they have rallied, as they've stepped up. It's been amazing all that uh, they've accomplished. In fact, I want you to know as a church, we're here for you. We're here for you 24-7, um, day or night. We've created a 24-hour line where you can text or call anytime if you have a need. I'm going to bring it up here on the screen. Um, Look, if you're, if you're lonely, if you're hurting, if you just need somebody to talk to, if we can help you, if you have a need, if you need somebody to pray with you, all you have to do anytime, 24-7, seven days a week, just text or call this number. And there's a team of pastors and volunteers who are standing by to help you and encourage you in any way that we can. This week, somebody uh, reached out to our care number, and um, it was an individual who was a military um, uh, individual. He was an active personnel. He was about to be deployed, and his wife was nine months pregnant. So uh, he wanted us to pray for her and asked if we could. He also was concerned because uh, he was kind of facing, I think, travel and some situations where he wouldn't have internet access or phone access for a brief window. And so he said, hey, tomorrow, if it's possible, can somebody maybe just call her, let her know I love her, God's, God loves her, pray with her, you know, as she's facing uh, this situation. And so uh, that's what we did. Our team the next day called her and check it out. When she answered, she was in the hospital and she, was in labor, literally in labor in that moment. And so uh, they told her that uh, her husband had called and 
and uh, that he sends his love, and they prayed for her in that moment, and she began to weep because, you know, just reminded her in that moment she wasn't alone. God loved her and was with her. Her husband loved her and was with her. Uh, uh, the church family, the community of faith was with her in that moment. She delivered a healthy little baby girl. Check it out. We actually have her picture here. I want to get some oohs and ahs from everybody uh, uh, watching. Uh, check out, look at that little beautiful little baby right there. Come on. Gorgeous. See, that's a picture of love and faithfulness. And the thing is, as much as we may love, as much as we may try to be faithful, uh, we only love because God first loved us. We only show kindness because God was first kind to us. In fact, Jeremiah, he sort of breaks it down when he starts kind of realizing how he can keep a grip on hope. And he, he talks about God's love in a, kind of a very specific way. Let's bring this up. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. He says, remembering, there it is again, I keep a grip on hope. He says, God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. The created new every morning. And then look at this. Help me on the red word. How great your what? Faithfulness. How great your faith. So here's, here's, Here's Jeremiah, he's just said, like, God makes me, he's made me chew on gravel. He's rolled me in the dust. I've forgotten what prosperity is. I have no hope. And then the very next verses, he says, but I remember this in that moment. I remember God and who he is. I remember he's faithful. I remember he's good. I can count on his faithfulness. His love doesn't dry up. His love, it doesn't run out. And that's what we need to remember in these challenging times to help us keep a grip on hope. In fact, when Jeremiah starts to break down God's love, he uses a couple different words that I think can be helpful to us today to realize uh, some of the depth of God's love. So I'm going to bring this up on the screen. First of all, we're just going to start here with God. And he says something about God and his love. He says God's loyal love. Let's bring that up. God's loyal love. You see that? That, that, that word translated loyal love is the word hesed, Hebrew word hesed. It refers to God's covenant love. The, the, see, God made a covenant with his people, first with the Israelites, and then in the New Testament era, he made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ, a new covenant made in Jesus' blood. We celebrated Good Friday right before Easter last week. We took communion, and Jesus, that's what he said. He said, this, this represents the new covenant, the cup in my blood. He died for us to seal that agreement, and that agreement made through Jesus is that we can trust him and believe in him and put our faith in him, and we are loved and secure in our salvation and God is moving and working in our life and we have his spirit within us and it's not about us, it's about him. It's about his faithfulness. That's covenant love and that's what, that's what uh, uh, Jeremiah is getting at. He says, God, his loyal love, his hesed, his covenant love for us in our lives, it's strong, it's solid, it's powerful. It's not based on you. It's not based on how good you were last week. It's not based on whether your team won or lost. It's not based on, you know, whatever you may be facing in your marriage or in your personal life. It's based on God, his goodness, his faithfulness to himself. The Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. He will keep his word. You can count on it. It is his covenant, loyal, strong love. His loyal love. And then check it out. What does he say about his loyal love? It never runs out. You know, it's never going to run out. It's never going to be gone. There's, it's not going to be like toilet paper, people. It's not going to be like you get to the end of it, right? Everything else in life we get to the end of. But God's loyal love, you don't get to the end of that. You don't come to the end of it. He, his loyal love never runs out. 
Now check this out. Not only does he talk about that, he says his merciful love, right? Now that merciful love is the Hebrew word uh, rahamim. And um, this word, sometimes it's just translated mercy or it might be translated um, compassion. So this is, this is God's merciful love. Now, now the word itself is fascinating because it's closely related to the Hebrew word for womb, for womb. So this is really a reference to the softer love of God, the fierce love of God like a mother who loves her kids. And I'm telling you, is this not true? Nobody loves their kids like a mama. Nobody loves their kids like mom. Look, when, when, when our kids were born, Lori changed. My sweet, little, loving, beautiful wife who's so kind and gracious to everybody. But if somebody treats her kids unjustly, these mama bear claws come out, man, and it is like game on, people. Watch out. Right? That's how your moms are. You're all good. You go to the sporting games. Everything's cool, right? Unless you feel like that ref called something wrong on your kid. Your kid got treated unjustly. And then it is game on. Somebody else emerges. Look, and it doesn't matter what a kid does. If a kid uh, uh, goes completely off the rails and everybody gives up on them, a mother will never give up on their kids. A mother's love is fierce and it's tender. And that's God's love for us as well. Not only is it loyal, it's based in his covenant agreement with us, but it is merciful and compassionate and tender. And then he says this, check it out, it new every morning. Now somebody needs to hear this today, that God's love is new every morning. You know, the thing about morning, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful time of day because the morning reminds you that how, no matter how big the storm was the night before, right, the morning comes. No matter how dark the situation situation was, the, 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 the dawn comes, no matter how tough things were, like, like the sun rises again. And here Jeremiah goes, listen, it might be dark. I might be sitting in my desolation and my grief. Jerusalem's down. The temple's down. God's abandoned us. God's deserted us. I can't remember what prosperity is, but here's what I know. God's still faithful. God's still loyal. God's love's still true. It's still fierce and tender. God's not going to abandon us. He's not going to leave us on our own. God doesn't abandon his kids just like a mom who's just, just wired up internally to love. God even more so loves his kids. It's new every morning. So every morning you and I, we get up every morning, his mercy, his love towards us is new. Every morning it's fresh. Every morning it's available. And then because of his loyal love and because of his merciful love, God, ultimately, it never runs out. It, it's new every morning. The result is this word, faithfulness. Faithfulness. God's faithfulness, it's connected to his loyal love and his merciful love. And what does Jeremiah say? He says, great is your faithfulness. It's anchored in his love for us in our lives. And we can anchor our lives in his faithfulness. In fact, one of my favorite scriptures is in the New Testament, book of 2 Corinthians, because that word faithfulness, it connects to sort of God's promises, that God will, will follow through with what he said he would follow through with. You go over to 2 Corinthians, check this out, chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, here's what it says about God's promises and God's faithfulness. It says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled. Now check it out, let me just go over, that's, that's like past, that's past tense, right? Have been already, God has already fulfilled all of his promises to us, how? They've already been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding, say it with me at home, yes, 
God's already fulfilled in Christ all of his promises. He's already said yes. You need to hang on to that right now because you're looking around and you're hearing a lot of no's. <laughs> when can we go out like we used to could? <laughs> well, not now. No. You know, uh, uh, when, uh, when can I go back to work? Nobody knows. No. Right? A lot of no's. But when you come to Jesus, God has already said yes in Christ. And it changes how we frame our lives up. Listen, Christ is your answer. And his answer from, as, as an answer from God is yes. God, can you hear me? Yes. God, do you see me? Yes. God, do you care about what I'm facing in my life? Yes. God, will you forgive me? Yes. Do you, do you have a plan for me? Yes. Will you look at my life? Yes. Will you give me what I need? Yes. Will you guide me? Yes. Is your best still to come? Yes. Are you still my healer? Yes. Are you still in control? Yes. Will you fill me with your spirit? Yes. Will you be with me no matter what happens? Yes. Will you give me wisdom if I need it in my life? Yes. Will you give me peace? Yes. Will you work all these bad things into your good plan yes have you already conquered death yes will you give me the gift of eternal life yes are you still uh, for me even when everything is against me yes listen even when you face a lot of no's in life all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus your life is never on hold if Jesus holds your life and so he's moving he's working and we lean into him Jeremiah puts it this way great is your faithfulness your love never runs out it's new every morning great is your faithfulness listen you can lose a lot of things you can lose your freedom you can lose your car you can lose a house you can lose your mind you can lose your grip but you will never lose the love of God in Christ Jesus towards his kids because it's not just based in us. It's based in God's covenant through Jesus and it's based in his merciful, tender, and yet fierce love for his kids. You have it. Great is his faithfulness. And that means that no matter what you're facing, God is greater. That means you may have serious financial needs, but he is the great provider. You may be scared for your health, but he's the great healer. Hey, you don't know what to do, but he's the great counselor. You're fighting so many battles, but he's the great conqueror. Uh, you're just worn out. He's the great enabler. Listen, you're feeling so lonely, but he's the great comforter. You feel so vulnerable, but he's the great defender. You have so much regret, but he's the great forgiver you feel like you're at a dead end but he is the great rescuer in our lives listen you have no one you can rely on but he's the great promise keeper when you feel confused he's great in wisdom when you feel small he's great in power when you feel condemned he's great in mercy when you feel anxious he's great with care when you feel devalued he's great in love listen when you feel like your life is over he is your great hope and great is his faithfulness when God is all you have left, you learn that he is all you need. Come on, somebody. Look, it's a good thing to quietly hope for help from God. And so we got to remember to count on his faithfulness in our life. He didn't lead you here to then just leave you here. He will see it through in our lives. You know, when it comes to faithfulness, Heard a story this week that just really moved me. Our central family's been out serving people and 
uh, doing whatever we can to meet the needs in our communities. And there was one uh, retirement community that they kept going back to, and there was Christine, one lady there they'd given food to multiple times. And every time they went back to deliver more food, they, they wondered, like, why she was always out of food, right? She just sort of went through it super fast. And then they found out it wasn't because she was hoarding it. She was actually sharing it with those in her retirement community who had needs. And so we said to her, like, Christine, look, we, we're here to help. We're here to serve. Go find out what people need because a lot of them couldn't get out. A lot of them were facing, you know, isolation and, and loneliness. I read a study that this week 40% of Americans said they're lonelier than they've ever been in their entire lives. Um, there were uh, uh, individuals in that retirement community that were starting to make choices about buying medicine or buying food. So we said, hey, look, just, just go find a list of what people need and we'll come back and we'll take care of them. So this sweet lady, Christine, got her walker out and went to 200 doors in her retirement community, knocked on those doors, wrote down everything people needed, we took that list, we turned it back around, we went and we delivered supplies and they were just blown away. One lady, they brought a box in of stuff and she said, I, I've been here alone. I, I, I haven't felt like I can leave. I don't know where to go. I didn't know how I was gonna have food. She said, literally, I've been waiting on God. I've been crying out to God. I've been asking God to help me see me through this month. She said, I didn't know how I was gonna get through this month. And she looked at this box of supplies and she says, I have all I need. And we're gonna be there to keep serving and to keep taking care of our community. That's what we do in times like this. We rally together and we serve together. You know, in moments like this, we remember that God is faithful. We may all be in a season where we're waiting, but waiting as a follower of Jesus is like hoping. When you wait passionately for the Lord and patiently for the Lord, when you turn your waiting into prayers, when you remind yourself to keep a grip on hope, and when you come back to just the fact that, hey, challenging times, yes, it can challenge your hope. And we're all right now, we're tired of waiting, but don't lose your grip on hope. Remember God's rescue. Remember all God has done. Listen, remembering all God has done gives you hope for all God will do. Count on God's faithfulness in your life. His loyal love can't run out. His mercy is new every morning. Hope for God's help. All his promises are yes in Jesus. God didn't lead you here just to leave you here. Friends, maybe you're in a place in your life where you've been losing your grip on hope. And in the midst of this whole situation, I want to remind you that God is trying to get your attention. I don't know why we're in this situation, but what I do know is that God can bring good out of it. And maybe the good he wants to bring in your life is to bring you to him. Maybe God wants to draw you to him, to come home to him, and to experience his goodness and his grace. And all you need to do is place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ today. Just reach out to him, and God will come and work and move in your life like you won't believe. He will meet you. Maybe this is your bottom. Maybe your bottom, you know, was somewhere in the past, whatever it was. God will meet you where you are, and he will do a work in your life. All you need to do is come in faith. Believe that Jesus came and lived, died, and rose again for you. 
and say, God, I trust you in Jesus. Forgive me for my sins. Help me in my life. And God will fill you with his spirit. You'll become a part of a church family. Your sins will be wiped clean. You'll begin a new journey with a new purpose. And I'm telling you, you'll look back and realize that moment of pain and struggle was the most significant turnaround in my life because God met me there and God did a work in my life there. So friends, if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, wherever you're at today, I'd love to just give you the opportunity to reach out to him and trust him in your life. I wanna ask everybody, would you please just bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, you can begin that journey by repeating this simple prayer after me. You can say it either out loud or just say it in your own heart and mind. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. And friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I want to ask you to just slip your hand in the air just to acknowledge before God you're going to trust him in your life. Just reach out to him. Let him move and work. Let him bring something truly good out of something truly bad we're all enduring. Reach out to him in your life today. God, we thank you. We love you. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Listen, if you made a spiritual commitment in your life, I'm just so thrilled for you. And I want to tell you, congratulations. Uh, we'd love to put some resources in your hands. Uh, we've created a little journal called How to Follow Jesus that we can send to you digitally. Just download it for free. It could be a great resource for you. If we can pray for you and encourage you, we want to do that. So um, make sure to let us know if you made a spiritual commitment. And the way you can let us know is just lean into these next words that our hosts are going to share of all the ways you can let us know you made that commitment. Thank you, guys. God bless you. We'll see you next week.